You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. partners in IT who've been kind of tracking this stuff a bit more closely than we had. I noticed that uh, there had been some media attention to a couple of different specific leaks over the past couple of years. We were curious and dug a bit deeper and found quite a bit of OT, like pretty much everything an uh, attacker would ever want to plan any type of attack, essentially. That's Nathan Brubaker. He's a director at Mandiant. The research we're discussing today is titled One in Seven Ransomware Extortion Attacks Leak Critical Operational Technology Information. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And so that really piqued our interest, and we were a bit concerned about obviously very concerned about what potential information would be out there in one of our many customers. And so we kind of kicked off this process, which is enormous. It was an enormous lift. And it wasn't like we worked 24-7 on this, but it's a, a good kind of back project to have. From a scale perspective, to give you an idea, we calculated out about, there were twenty about 2,600 uh, leaks that probably uh, happened roughly in the 2021 timeframe uh, for the, the year of 2021. And then to kind of scope our research, we, and to scope our research, we essentially cut that in half by trying to look for organizations that likely had OT in their uh, networks or control systems uh, with the hopes that we would 
you know, not have to waste our time on the other 1,300 that didn't. Uh, and so from there, we had about, you know, like I said, 1,300 organizations. And to get that even kind of cut down even farther, since that would be many hundreds of terabytes of data, um, we started to dig through and look at, one, uh, there's you know, challenges for downloading uh, these leaks because they're they're owned and operated by uh, on sites by actors that don't have the greatest infrastructure uh, and or there might be dozens of people that trying to download them. Uh, some of the data might be corrupted or things like that. So based on our kind of initial triage from uh, just a technical perspective, is it possible? Some of the data, to give you an idea, even if we could download it, would take many days to download just for one of those 1300 leaks. So we could do a couple of different things uh, to kind of scope that down. Like I said, some of it relates to is the stuff even, is the data in there even usable uh, from a, a technical perspective? And uh, we just kind of discarded anything that wasn't since we had such a, a huge data set. Uh, and then from there, we, some actors would actually provide file listings and things like that. that we, and we also have some tooling that allows us to go through those kind of parsed lists to give us an idea about what might be of interest in these different uh, data sets or different leaks. And from there, we, we were able to scope it down to a couple hundred uh, samples. And we essentially did more of the same for, but a bit deeper for those couple hundred and got to about 70 that we eventually did uh, much more in-depth analysis of. So to give you another farther idea about this, the scope of this, 70 of them, we don't know the exact file size because it's enormous and really hard to calculate, but uh, would guess in the 20 to 30 terabyte range um, for those 70 uh, leaks. And so wow. that's, yeah, that's <laughs> clearly an enormous amount of information uh, to go through. And really, I one huge takeaway that I kind of want to highlight up front here is we took a very, very wide rather than deep approach to this. As you can kind of tell, if you take a look at the blog, we have a, a graphic on there that kind of shows you these different numbers I'm talking through. But we, to get through that 30 terabytes, 20, 30 terabytes, uh, we essentially went through each one. And once we found some OT or ICS documentation, we stopped there and moved to the next one. Now, this is not what an actor would do. Um, an actor most likely would have some more constraints on resourcing than we would uh, and or would have a much more focused interest. And so if they, for example, had a specific target that they're looking for, they could monitor for leaks related to that target. And when one pops up, they could then go and dig through that specific leak uh, or theoretically buy access to the leak before anyone else has access, uh, as some actors do that. But once they like are focused only on, for example, we, we routinely focus on individual targets during our research and focusing our efforts on a much smaller data set allows us to derive a lot more data. So this is all to say, I would expect those kind of 10 different leaks that we found data in is a probably a very small actually sample of what is actually out there. Certainly in those 10, I would imagine there's quite a bit more OT documentation. And I would also hazard a guess that there's quite a bit more in, in many of the others as well. Yeah, I mean, your, your report talks about uh, this notion of multifaceted extortion, which you know, certainly anyone who's been following the evolution of ransomware is aware that, you know, the the ransomware actors kind of upped their game uh, to the point where it wasn't just that they were locking up your files, they were exfiltrating them, and, and then part of the threat was that they were going to share them. And that's really what you're digging into here. Can you give us some insights as to how easy it is to find and access 
these files? How is it exclusive or is it out there for just about anybody who's interested to go out and grab them? Yeah, so a, a bit of both, right? Some of some of the files, as I kind of mentioned before, are available for purchase before they may give a teaser or something like that. And if someone buys it, they'll get they can get exclusive access. So there there may be many more uh, data sets or, or dumps that are not available publicly. But all of this stuff, the twenty six hundred leaks, and really down to whatever we ended up downloading, were all freely available, and we didn't have to like sign up for anything or get special access to get to get to anyone with a Tor browser can get to these and some know how clearly uh, to give you an idea. Actually, many actors actually put this type of kind of listing or that it, at least that it's coming out on different social media sites to kind of get people to their sites. So uh, it, you don't even need to be on, on Tor browser to, to see it coming. Can you give us uh, an idea of the kind of the breadth of things that we're talking about here, the actual data that's available? Yeah, is anything you could imagine, essentially. So we obviously <laughs> focused on the OT side of things. I briefly did want to talk about there's obviously everything else for the most part is IT related. And I don't want to downplay the criticality of that data because any actor, no matter who they are and what kind of activity they want to carry out, will likely need access to all of that IT data as well. So even an attacker that's focused on an OT very specific cyber-physical attack that they want to cause a very specific outcome, whatever it may be, they need to gain access to those systems initially. So they would use much of the like HR data, other types of like purchasing data, things like that to get a good insight into what the company looks like and how to fish to gain initial access and then pivot around. And all those things are really, really valuable from a uh, initial compromise perspective and then also just getting to OT. All of that data that we actually found related to OT is all exactly what our red teamers are looking for when they're going out on engagements, trying to gain access to OT and planning to carry out a specific attack. So I could go through a couple of them. I mean, it's essentially anything from one of the, one of the most robust leaks had essentially like all credentials for almost everything, documentation on process flows, on wiring diagrams, just really anything you could ever imagine, for, which is very terrifying. But that that was one very, very egregious leak. Uh, but then there's others where uh, it would be a bit less, or at least what we found would be a bit less, but still concerning. For example, there are, and in the report we talk about more, uh, and we have an appendix uh, for our freemium subscribers, we found information on a range of different specific targets. We obviously have their names and stuff, but redacted it for this report. Uh, and I will note we have contacted anyone that would be relevant to help uh, mitigate some of the risk on these things. But we found things from like pretty concerning organizations like uh, specifically a control systems integrator. So those folks that are working with lots of different customers. And this is one area where uh, it's a common and an always uh, dangerous kind of attack vector because it's, you know, an, an engineer or someone else coming in that's not part of your organization accessing your systems. And so if this is like, you know, if you go upstream, you can uh, you can bypass some of the controls on systems. And we've seen this at Mandiant historically, where a, a third party comes in to do, you know, whatever type of work on the system, plugs into a network, opens up a, a direct path to the internet, and then that brings in a threat actor. So that's just one case, uh, a bit interesting. There's a lot of the other ones are lots of similar types of documentation on how their specific processes work, uh, lots of different information on like accounts, accesses, 
credentials, things like that. But there are interesting things like uh, specifically from a, a satellite vehicle tracking service provider that we found on there. They had like actual uh, source code for one of their proprietary platforms that they used to track uh, automobile fleets like using GPS uh, and allows them to, to an extent, interact with some of those uh, systems or some of those vehicles. Uh, we found a decent amount of information on the hydroelectric energy producer, pictures of like HMIs, uh, guides on how to use different types of things. Really, like I said, all the things that an actor would need to carry to plan and potentially carry out a, a sophisticated attack. If you are an actor with the goal of causing some specific outcome from an attack, and by this I mean like blowing something up theoretically if you want to go extreme, but also you could just cause one process to change in a larger industrial process, you need to have a very, very deep understanding for the most part of how that process works. Because if you make one change upstream in the process, you, it's really hard to understand because it, there's a lot of things at play there from physics to uh, engineering to uh, chemistry that it's really difficult to calculate out without adequate information and expertise. And so all of these kind of internal documents that talk about those things and help identify how that process actually flows uh, through to the end product will help an actor plan out an attack like that and also understand what the implications of their actions are. So uh, will it like turn on alarms? How do they mitigate those alarms? All that kind of stuff. You know, you mentioned the challenge of, of merely downloading, uh, you know, terabytes of information that you were able to grab but then the, the next heavy lift is actually analyzing all of that data, and, and that was a challenge as well. Yeah, so we initially used some off-the-shelf tooling, and I, I'll be honest, we, we have a bunch of internal tools already that we use to track different data dumps and things like that as a company. So it's important to note that because unless you're a pretty sophisticated actor, you probably don't have that. But that's kind of why I mentioned up front, most actors are going to focus on a couple of specific, one or more uh, specific targets. And so they won't need to go through quite the level of effort that we did. Uh, but yeah, we kind of used some off-the-shelf tooling to begin with. And where we could, we did that. And then we also built out some capabilities internally to be able to uh, better triage some of this just huge amounts of data. But I'll be honest, in the end, a lot of the work was manual and it was people going through file listings and looking at pictures and stuff like that. And these people are, are folks who know OT and ICS and when they see something, they'll know it's something of interest. And um, so we do have an advantage there. And so if we're talking about kind of lower sophistication actors that are looking to just poke around and, and do some things, they can certainly find some stuff of interest. Uh, the impact of that is probably going to be a lot less critical than a well-resourced uh, industry competitor or a sophisticated actor supported by a government uh, or something like that. Can you give me some insights, you know, for folks who are not in the world that you're in of, of uh, this kind of analysis, what are the ethical concerns that come into play here? When you're, you know, grabbing files that have already been stolen by someone else and put out there in public, you know, the things that are in these files aren't, they're not Mandiant's business, you know, <laughs> the, the, the people out there, they don't want anybody to look at this stuff. Do you have to come at this as knowing that you're a you know a good faith good actor and that uh, your intentions are good and you're going to notify the people whose information you've found? Yeah, I mean it would probably be worse if we didn't do this, right? So the alternative yeah. is no no threat researcher does any research like this. No one knows that they have any problem, or they can kind mm -hmm. of just turn a blind eye. That the issue here is 
especially with OT data, this stuff doesn't change that much. So a typical life cycle could be for tech in OT could be like 20 to 30 years relative to the couple years in, in IT. And so if you have a tremendous amount of documentation that is not going to be changed or the process it's documenting is not going to be changed for the next decade or two, then you're in greater trouble than, than not knowing that these things are there because you know, maybe you forget about this in five or 10 years and an actor gets a hold of it. And if it's 80% is still relevant, then that's a, a big concern. So from our perspective, you know, we're, we are certainly coming at this from a, a, we're here to help. And like the one reason I love working for many is we are not ambulance chasers. We don't do any of that. I get to do whatever I think is valuable for, for our customers. Uh, and also, honestly, we do a tremendous amount of work for folks who are not our customers. So you mentioned kind of victim notification. So yeah, if we find things of value um, that we have concerns about, we will notify uh, whoever it is. And we have a, an organization internally that uh, helps set up these calls and talk to, to these organizations and offer support, much of it free. Uh, and then obviously, like if people want to buy support, they can. Uh, but we have done a lot of good uh, doing this. And, and I'll be honest, there's probably no one that would do this type of work unless you paid them a lot of money or they're a threat actor trying to do some bad things. So yeah. the, the organizations are essentially getting free work out of us. So for the most part, people we've talked to have been been appreciative. So what are your recommendations here? I mean, based on this information that you've gathered, um, how can organizations protect this data knowing that you know this is one of the ways that it's being gathered up and, and shared? Let's start if you haven't had an incident or that you don't know of one, then that's great. And it's time to prepare for one because most organizations are going to have some sort of security incident. Hopefully it's not bad, but you want to be ready. And so you can do things like strengthen data handling policies, ensure information and access isn't available to people who should not have it. Really, really limit the amount of OT information that is passed into IT wherever possible. Uh, and obviously protect OT as best as possible. And there's a whole range of things you could do there. But if you if you have had a leak like this, then uh, it's important to understand what's been leaked and mitigate as much as possible. And so you can do things like, we, we have a, a deeper kind of technical list of things that you can go through if you're curious on kind of what you mm. could do, but you're going to have to go through the information and that's going to be one of the bigger lifts. Um, once you know kind of what your risk it, risk profile is or what what the threat is, then you can start to mitigate. But like, for example, if you want to address this before something happens, Mandia and others have offerings that allow you to kind of simulate this type of, of threat activity. So see if actors can get into your networks and steal information of value. Our red team routinely does this and customers find a lot of value about kind of the stuff that's exposed that they wouldn't expect or the ways in which actors can get through their networks to OT really easily. Is this also the kind of thing where having someone keeping an eye on things from a threat intelligence point of view will will help you know when these things are out there? Yeah, certainly. There's always a need, well, for one, to have a robust, you know, multi-layered layered defense, but also visibility into the threat landscape is really important, right? So many organizations we talk to may not have known that their data was stolen. Now, for the most part, you know, if you are ransomed and the actor's trying to make money, they're going to tell you, hey, I have your data and so forth. But I mean, most people don't know what to do then. The nice thing is Mandiant has worked for decades now on this type of activity, negotiating with actors and getting data back. And so we are not only prepared to help remediate and respond, but also 
We have unparalleled visibility into the threat landscape, both from a kind of dark web perspective, but also based on all of our you know thousands of hours of incident response that we do every year, not to mention all of our kind of threat research from an intelligence perspective. Our thanks to Nathan Brubaker from Mandiant for joining us. The research is titled One in Seven Ransomware Extortion Attacks Leak Critical Operational Technology Information. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.